1: Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Today's episode is a little different. Just before Christmas, Al, I and the We Have Ways team made a decision that we should purchase a little project for the podcast. I learned about an unrestored Lloyd carrier up for sale from our friend Tobin Jones. It had been built during the war, but was later purchased by a French farmer to use in his woods as a tractor. It's in a pretty sorry state at the moment and needs a lot of work done before it can be driven again. But of course, that's the fun of it. Last week I went down to the south coast in West Sussex to pick up the carrier and was joined by Marcus Bailey and Richard Pocock. Richard is a local friend and now a partner on the project, while Marcus is a young mechanical engineer who will be restoring the vehicle and doing most of the hard work. On location, I recorded some snippets about the carrier, what condition it's in now and what the next step is so we can get it driving again. Well, welcome to Deepest Darkest Wheelchair. We're actually really close to the Dorset border here in Berwick St John. And this is, uh, this is going to be the workshop where, where Marcus is going to be restoring um, our Lloyd Carrier. And honestly, if you'd seen this a week ago or about 10 days ago, this whole place was absolutely stuffed. And this little side room with all the, the workbench was just covered, covered, covered. All, that, all around here was just a sea of stuff. It was used by um, a, a local builder who's since retired, he's just never quite got around to clearing it out. All this was absolutely revolting. We've cleared it all out, mainly Marcus, bit of help from me, tiny bit of help from Richard. Filled up the skip outside, so that is being crushed down by a telehandler about t- three times to get it to all fit in. But here we are, we've now got the space and... Um, it's actually incredibly appropriate because this is owned by Francis Dainley and his son Perrin. And Francis's father, Mark Deinley, um was basically a spy in um, Germany before the war. He was working for the Foreign Office. He was one of Van Sittart's guys. Um, and he actually smuggled out Einstein's cousin uh, just before the war in 1939. I own his... German leather greatcoat, which he brought back from Germany in 1939. Um, so when I talk about my Nazi jacket, that's it. It's not one you'll ever see me wearing, I can hasten to add, because, you know, you do put it on, you look exactly like a Nazi. But Mark Diney really has proper, proper Second World War pedigree. He was also one of the designers of the Sten gun. So he played some really important parts in, you know, secret intelligence work during the war, And after the war, had an incredible collection of British uh, and American. Um, and German as well, Second World War vehicles, all of which were housed up here. And this place was... barracks and John was famous for having, having just an incredible array of weaponry and trucks and vehicles from the Second World War. And, of course, it was a different time then. But I think it was sometime in the kind of um, maybe late 70s when there was a raid by the police. They just found guns and machine guns everywhere. But anyway, that's another story. But anyway, as a result, it, it makes it all very appropriate. And here comes Richard... With the telehandler, which is what we're gonna to do to hoist the chassis of the original Lloyd Carrier into the workshop and then and then Marcus can start the painstaking job of taking that completely to pieces, photographing every bit of it as he goes along. And we'll we'll dip the the, the spare tracks in a kind of big vat of diesel and see if we can't get them back into kind of functioning use again. So this is developed by Vivian Lloyd. Uh, Vivian Lloyd was an MC holder who was a captain from the First World War. One his MC in Mesopotamia, now modern-day Iraq. And um, although he was in the artillery, he got tuberculosis in 1916 and then had to be invalided out. But after war, he became an engineer. Um, And he developed this tractor company, this idea of having tracked vehicles that could be used for agriculture. Uh, And he got together with a chap called um, Sir John Carden. And uh, uh, Carden and Lloyd became a a reasonably well-known tractor maker. But they were bought out by Vickers Armstrong in 1928. Um, And after Carden died in a plane crash, and I think in 1932, anyway, the early 1930s at any rate, um, Lloyd went out on his own. Uh, but didn't really get on with Vickers, so broke away from Vickers and created the Vivian Lloyd Company, um, carrier company. And the idea behind the carrier is that, that you know Britain wants to have a small, highly mechanised, mobile army. And the problem is, if you've got tanks, then how do you get the infantry to keep up the tanks? Well, you one of the ways you do it is you put them in in tracked carriers that that you know armoured personnel carriers. It's the kind of basic idea birth birth of the armoured personnel carrier. Um, and Universal were making carriers, of course, the, the, the famous Bren gun carrier, um, but Lloyd made them as well. And um, he got a government contract in 1939 to build 200 of them. And by the end of the war, there were 26,000. Um, not all made by the Lloyd company. They were made by um, Dennis, you know, still make big trucks and HGVs and things. They were made by by Ford. Motor company. Um, they were made by Wolseley, no longer existing. But but you know all these pretty pretty well known uh, um, manufacturers of vehicles in the 1930s, and they all you know sort of passed out and and passed around different people making them. Um, and there were different types of carrier use. There was the TT, which is tracked, towed, which was for towing you know a two pounder anti tank gun or a six pounder anti tank gun. Or there was the um, TCP tracked carrier personnel, um, and they were using different roles. Although by 1944, for the most part, they're being used to tow six pounders. And there's lots of photographs from Normandy and and beyond, Northwest Europe, of uh, of these towing these six pounders. And actually, we're going to do ours up as a as a later war model, um, a a sort of Mark II, I think it was. you can see on the side of it over here. You can see these these bits hanging down, these little shields over the suspension. That that's a that's a sign of the Mark II. Um, so that's how we're going to restore ours. But what's been um, what's been amazing has been that just as we bought this, uh, we were contacted out of the blue by one of our listeners, a chap called Roger Pierce, uh, and his father, Lance Ginger Pierce, as he was known, was a Bren gunner in a carrier platoon in the fourth dorsets i mean you know here we are right on the dorset border fourth dorset's local battalion to this part of the world um it's a it's a battalion as well that i've written about in my normandy book um roger pierce sent me that um ace of spades lucky for one by lance ginger pierce and this is his father's memoir which roger sort of published and it's it's called the ace of spades lucky for one because that's the ace of space that he found stuck under his shoe just before he set off for Normandy. And Ace of Spades is supposed to be kind of unlucky, but for him it was his lucky charm, which he kept with him at all times during the war. And, and he was the Bren gun. He was a really, really good shot. Um, and he was in a universal carrier rather than a Lloyd carrier. But it's very interesting because he writes this bit about what the main role of the carrier was. And he says, the main work of the carrier platoon was, one, reconnaissance patrols. Two, battalion flank protection during an attack. 3. Filling weak points in the line between companies or supporting them after heavy heavy casualties. 4. Taking up forward positions to cut off any retreating Germans. 5. Giving extra support fire for an attack. 4. Taking up forward positions to cut off any retreating Germans. 5. Giving extra support fire for an attack. 6. Manning a forward position to protect an artillery observation position. 7. Providing protection for battalion recce parties. Eight, recovering the wounded during heavy fighting. I well remember doing that one. And actually, he talks about very graphically about having to bury a whole load of bits of people that have been hit by a big shell and thinking, gosh, I'm burying them in two foot of soil, you know, with a, with a rifle inverted and a helmet put on and the dog tags, and that's it. And he's thinking, gosh, is this, is this my fate if I get it? I mean, a really, really sobering thought. Anyway, number nine, on foot rolls, on most of the above tasks, we finished up on foot, leaving the carriers behind. And 10, the wasp sections. So these are fire uh, flamethrowers. Uh, Was section's main role was for creating fire support during a street fighting attack. So these carriers would go in with, a bit like the crocodiles, the Churchill flame throwing tanks, they would go in uh, uh, sort of, you know, because they're much more agile than a tank and go in with their flame throwing versions. So those are the differing roles of a carrier. So, in other words, it's incredibly versatile. And that's the reason why it was being used in 1939 and it was still being used in 1945. Uh, And it's why we're so incredibly lucky to have this opportunity to develop this Lloyd Carrier, um, one that was found in a hedgerows on a farm um, in northern France and which represents just an amazing piece of Britain's army heritage during the Second World War. And I just just cannot wait to see it complete. But I have to say, even today, it's really, really incredibly exciting that after all the talk about it, the chit-chat, the kind of worrying about it, We've got it here. We've got the, we've got the sort of the, the, the plate that will go around the edge of it. We've got the original chassis. We've got a really mint spare chassis from a Fordson truck, which we can adapt. We've got the workshop cleared. We've got Marcus primed and pumped. You know, and we're good to go. One exciting journey we're about to head on. We've got to take a short break. We'll be back with more on The Carrier after this. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Okay, so we're now standing by our spare chassis, and Richard, you're a little bit flummoxed by this because it doesn't look remotely like a carrier chassis at all, does it? No, it doesn't. It's complete. Looks completely different. It looks like what it is—a truck chassis. Uh, the, the, our rotodate chassis that's already on the carrier looks a lot better, Nick. Though, let's oh, face it, this just wants shop blasting
0: and building up rounds. But what's again is so interesting, like anything to do with the major manufacturers, everything's compatible from another vehicle. This is a
2: chassis and everything off a Ford lorry. But what's, what's the same here? So the rear axle or lorry is exactly the same as what is the front axle on the carrier. I believe the torque tube and the prop shaft up to the gearbox are exactly the same. And the chassis is exactly the same. And the, the gearbox is exactly the same. Gearbox is the same. Chassis is the same. The engine and the crawler mounts in the carrier mounts in exactly the same mounts. All
1: right, but this looks quite a lot
2: substantially longer
1: than. Yeah, I think we've got to shorten it. So it's it's essentially the same, but but it requires a little bit of chopping up a, and rearranging. An
2: adapted chassis.
1: An adapted chassis. Okay. But
2: what's the point in the middle of a war effort of going and designing something brand new
1: when there's something already being produced? Which will do the job well because the big job, the big the big challenge when you're changing uh, a different design is that you've got to build the machine tools to build it, right? And you've got to train up all the staff to, you know, the workers to do it. So if you've got something that's already coming off the production line, then let's use it. Again, as I said to you loads of times, is the
0: compatibility, the simplicity of anything that was made by Ford or during the war, whether it was agriculturally based or um military based everything was interchangeable the engine this v8 engine that's got was used in so many other applications was it yes and i've got to look up and see what's it compatible where i can get parts from it
2: but the hot rodders love those engines as well so they're, yes. even now you can get brand new parts for them so this is this is a huge step up here and I, I'm,
0: I'm really. I've read about this, and I'm absolutely gobsmacked by again the simplicity and the compatibility of where this all needs
1: to go. Okay, well we're standing back by the the, the main bulk of our carrier, and wondering what the what the plan is. What's what, what your thinking, Marcus?
2: Well, will the main unit, or I say complete. It's not a complete crawl, a carrier, into the workshop, lift it up, get some blocks in underneath dismantle tracks, suspension, whatever we need off of the original chassis yep. to transplant onto the new chassis.
1: And how do you do that? Because it all looks. All these bolts look quite... Ru- I mean, it does look like Meccano, but it looks like very rusty Meccano.
2: Well, That's a polite way of putting it, I suppose. Um, yeah, it, see what undoes. You may have to cut some. It, it's going to be interesting to see how what comes apart you'll be surprised you might look at a bolt that looks absolutely knackered on the outside world but the thread in the nut is beautiful and it it undoes like a hot knife through butter as they say yeah and it could all just come apart easy peasy or it could fight the whole way
1: And what do you do, when you're sort of taking things apart, presumably you've got to be, I mean, how do you remember where everything
2: went? Wonderful of modern technology. A phone always in your pocket that takes a photo, and a photo says a thousand words.
1: So you just photograph every inch of it, do you? Yep. And every stage of the process? Yeah,
2: because you can just soon look back at a picture, and your mind will play tricks on you. You think that went there, and no, it went in a completely different place. And a photo tells you all that.
1: Yep. Well, Richard, it's... Incredibly exciting to have finally got it here, isn't it? But you kind of do realise we've got a bit of a journey ahead of us.
0: Yes, a huge journey, uh, far more than I expected. And when you said to me when we were going down down to Sussex today to collect it, what are your plans? And I had an image of what we were going to do from the photos, and now that image is already upside down. <laughs> and, but very, very excited. A huge amount of work here all so doable with uh, an awful lot of time. Time is gonna be our biggest battle here. There's so much of the vehicle is complete with patterns and parts that were made, from what I can see, to a very high standard before. Mm. So what Marcus and the team's got to do is work from there.
1: And these tracks here, we're gonna take these off. Yeah, we're gonna these, hunt- these this is a spare set of tracks for us because these are a bit shot aren't they you can see the one i've got right in front of me that's broken that's the one next broken it's, it's they're a bit far gone aren't they a little bit yes these the tracks
0: the original tracks are well past their sale by date so we've got a good set of tracks here which are sees solid so what i'm hoping to do is that we can get a big metal container find some waste oil or waste diesel heating oil mixture they need to be going in there to soak. So as in six months or a years' time, these will free off. All these pins here will need to free off. So if we can get penetrating fluid down through here, we, we're on to a winning battle.
1: Right. So, should we'll we just leave them for as long as until oh, yes, such let, time that we need them?
0: Yeah. Just let the fluid soak in. It's essential. That will save us hours or even days of work. Mm. And as you can see here, Jamie, with these tracks, they've added on an extra spacer here to get more grip. Yeah. So whatever field of work, these, the, the machine that these were on, was probably in forestry or agricultural work. So like a, a farm crawler, you're going to get a lot more biting in here. Yeah,
1: these have just been welded on. Just these,
0: welded on. So we will have to get a grinder, cut those off, to get back to where we want this to be because we
1: don't want those 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 are not wartime then
0: not wartime as i know of but you know it's going to make a huge mess when we clutter this off and when it finally drives out of here this will mark the roads with what we've got here that will just just tickle along nicely
1: okay perfect so we're going to get those off yes we are tuck those away take those back up to the yard and try and get the main bulk of it in the workshop
0: main bulk of it's going to be in the workshop in a minute and these are going to go back up to up to the farm on the trailer unloaded and find a a solution for freeing them off
1: we're not going to use these wheels are we richard the the rubber's shot and the wheels up they look okay actually some of them but but we've got a whole spare set what we're planning to do is shot blast those and
0: Because this is an unfinished restoration project we have here, the person before us had already has rebuilt and put new rubber on on those existing idlers. So we're, we're a step ahead there. What Marcus will have to do is check the brass bushings in there, that they are fine. So that is a good point. Just like all this new tin work that Marcus has put away. So some really cracking good work was done. And that is a big saving, having rubber placed on
1: these idlers. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening and cheerio.